then I hope you come to church and get in fellowship and you see what it looks like. That way, when you make the decision to follow Christ, you're not in this perpetual backslidden condition. Oh, I'm just constantly struggling. Well, those that are that are that are born of God, first John says, overcome the world. And this is the victory that overcomes the world, even our faith. But faith only comes from hearing, hearing by the word of God. Without faith, it's impossible to please him, that those that come to him have got to believe that he is, and that he's a rewarder of those who diligently seek after him. There's got to be a diligence that's communicated into people's lives, not just some say, hey, pray this quick prayer, you're fixed up, hey, you're probably gonna struggle. Well, why not tell them you're probably gonna have victory? Ladies and gentlemen, welcome back to the Rooted in Christ podcast. My name is Eric Stevens. I'm the founder of Redwood Christian Ministries. Hope you all are doing very well today. With me today is pastor and church planner and my brother in Christ, Troy Bond. Sir, how are you doing? Eric, I am doing fantastic, better than I deserve, and so excited to be here with you today. We've had a lot of conversations over the telephone, but it's good to kind of see each other face-to-face -face in this format as well. So good to be here today. Before we even like dive into this, I, I want to tell the audience how I met you, um, because it was truly one of those like God stories and, and God experiences. I it was Redwood Christian Ministries was kind of celebrating our, our one year anniversary of just being, you know, in existence. And I was sitting down one night and I said, God, how do it's great that we got the foundation established. It's great that the ministry is doing well. It's, it's grown in, the, in, in its first year. How do we get out there and actually be the church? How do we get out there and live out the mission? Like, is there mission trips we can go on? God, what do you want us to do at Redwood? And I heard God clearly tell me, go to New Orleans. And, I, and you know, you sit there and you're like, what? <laughs> right. And I, it's not an audible voice. It was just that, like that inner still voice. You know, you just like, you know it in your knower that God is answering you right in there. He's like, go to New Orleans. And I'm like, okay. So I start, it's probably one or two o'clock in the morning and I just start Googling missions trips around the United States. And I put in New Orleans, put in Louisiana and I'm looking and there's like all of this stuff that's coming up. Reached out to a few of the other organizations and, you know, I was, it didn't, it didn't stick. Like it just, what they were saying just it wasn't resonating with me. Found you online, randomly called you, I think the next day. And we spent two hours talking on the phone right. about your ministry and what you do in New Orleans and your and and just the uh, the great work that you're doing and in, involving street evangelism on Bourbon Street, training up people to share their faith. Which talking to you was like I felt like I was just talking to just a brother from a just in another state, right. like an older version of of myself. But I'm pretty sure you look younger than me. So, um, <laughs> well, so, thanks. Um, uh. So it was it was just crazy how God worked that out. Um, and to anyone who doesn't know, we're going to get into this, but we're going to join you. I have a team coming to join you in the mission field uh, next year. We're looking forward to it. So I know we're going to get into that. But Absolutely. I just wanted to share, though, to with the audience how this was a divine appointment, that how you and I just just a random phone call. We were on the phone for two hours just sharing our faith and just sharing our life stories. And it's amazing how much we we have in common and amazing uh, the the passion that, you know, that, that God has put in you. I it was refreshing to, to hear your story. Amen. Thank you, Eric. So I'm going to just dive into it. Let's go back to the beginning. So where'd you grow up? Where are you from? Well, originally, originally, uh, I'm from Southern California, Ontario, just right there east of uh, the Los Angeles area. 
my family, kind of the roots were in Texas for years and back in, I think the early 60s, I was born in the late 60s, but um, early 60s, uh, my mother and father had moved out there with my older siblings, started a business. Then in uh, 1974, my dad's health had really just tanked, gone through some things and kind of began to migrate back east, ended up in New Mexico for a year, then ended up in Texas. And so through grade school, high school, uh, met my wife. We just celebrated 36 years of marriage, November 15th. And uh, so that's where we were kind of raised in, in Texas via uh, Southern California. My wife was actually born in New Mexico, but she spent most of her life in Texas as well before we came here full time in 2003. I have a love for Albuquerque, New Mexico. Um, yeah. the, the, I'm a big fan of their red and green chili. And well, yeah, so anyone who's looking at listening in Texas is not going to know exactly what we're talking about right now because it's slightly different from what uh, from what other people know. As well, if you get down in the if you get down in the Hatch Valley, Hatch Valley is right down there in, in southern New Mexico, where a lot of you see Hatch chili in all kinds of stores. And uh, I still have family that lives there, and we spend a lot of summers down there roasting uh, chili and making ristas is what they call them. And so I've had my fair share of green chili from, from New Mexico. I actually have a nephew that lives in, uh, in Albuquerque and a niece uh, in Las Cruces, New Mexico, right outside of El okay. Paso and cousins in a, a little town called Truth or Consequences, New Mexico. And so a novel name, but it's really a town. So a lot of, a lot of friends and family in New Mexico too. That sounds like just tell the truth, right? Like I don't, I, cause you know, consequences yeah. be positive or negative. So let's just go <laughs> right. positive. So let's just tell the truth. Let's tell the truth. Um, so anyone who is listening, the, the red and green chili, there's no consistency. It can, you could have like one can be mild and then have the same right. green chili. And next thing you know, it's buckets pouring out of my yeah, bald head. Burn your lips off. Right? Yeah. Yeah. It's crazy. It's, you gotta be careful with it. It's so good though. It's so good. Mm -hmm. So what was your, so growing up, what was your journey like with, with Christ? Like, how did you ended up coming to know the Lord? Like how, what was that like for you? You know, it's interesting, Eric. I didn't, my family didn't quote unquote have the, the pedigree. My mother and father, you know, claimed, uh, claimed to be religious to some degree, mainly my mother, but they just, they just weren't very good at it. And my mom and dad, you know, both of their family backgrounds were just pretty tragic uh, in relationship, just kind of how they were raised a lot of rejection and things of that nature. So they carried that stuff into adulthood. I'm the youngest of five living children. My mom actually had nine kids, uh, five of us living. And uh, so a lot of that was there. And so when we, when we left California in the seventies, uh, my mother and father had both had developed a, a drinking problem. We get back to Texas and fortunately I had an aunt that was my mother's older sister that was really a godly woman, kind of the matriarch of the family. And my grandfather was a, was a church goer as well. And so as a kid, my grandfather would be going to these old school like uh, tent revivals. And he was always looking for somebody to go with him. And me being the youngest grandson, I would they would volunteer me. Grandpa wants somebody to go with him. You go with him. And so, uh, hey, I was just looking to get out of the house. And so yeah. as a kid, I would go to those things and had some really incredible encounters with, with the, the person of the Holy Spirit, this is a young man. And I'm talking about like fifth, sixth grade and just had a, a, an impact on my life. And, and I think, it, you know, you think about just the grace of God in those situations because our, our family, now I never felt unloved. I never suffered any type of quote unquote physical abuse or anything like that. But because of the substance abuse and alcoholism in our family, everything was always at a fever pitch. And I mean, you just never knew when mom and dad were going to be each other's throats and she would take wow. off and go stay with Ann or something. So it never was, we never were brought taken to church as a family uh, early on. 
but my aunt would come by pick me up and take me to Sunday school and just really fell in love with just Jesus you know it wasn't reinforced at home and uh and so really that was the encounter in, in having that early relationship but I, I praise God for it because I was around a whole lot of stuff I mean I was around alcohol and stuff like that in my home uh but I never touched the stuff I'm I'm 50 gonna be 56 years old in about a month and I've never been high one time in my life but I was around a lot of high people that just was not my thing because I saw the consequences that it had upon my family. And I thought, you know what? I don't have to be defined by that. I, I don't have to, I'm not obligated to allow those things to be visited upon me. And so I was always just really naturally, I'm, it's funny about what I do. I'm just naturally much, very much an introvert. I could just sit at my desk and just hang out with Jesus all day, but by necessity and by the call that God's put upon my life, it's really caused me to get out there. But, um, just really developing a hunger for Christ early on and just to him, just really giving me the, the grace not to fall into some of those snares that I would have to be suffering for later on. Praise God though. Uh, being that young man that came to Christ, I eventually was able to lead pretty much my whole family to the Lord, my immediate family. Oh, wow. So to this day, I lost my mother to cancer about five years ago. My dad's 90, uh, coming up on 90 this coming year. And, uh, got to see God bring deliverance and freedom into our family as well. Just kind of a Joseph situation in the family. So. Wow. Praise God for that. Look at what a tent revival can do, right? Like just a, right. wow. Praise God for that. And you know, I think back, it was, you know, naturally, you know, a lot of people see that it's just kind of hokey, you know, it was, I mean, they had hay bales with blankets thrown <laughs> over them out in the middle of the country outside the city. And, and, you know, uh, people up there singing, you know, the pitch was off and, you know, sweating evangelist up there. But you know what, uh, when God's in it, it doesn't matter. The method is never sacred. It's the message that's sacred. And I believe Come God on. will honor that. And I, and I, you know, as a young man, you know, a lot of the context, even on the stories and things, you don't really have the context, but didn't need the context, man. It was the spirit of God drawing me and just, you know, saving me and filling me with his Holy spirit. And, you know, I praise God that those roots were planted there, even though I didn't have them in my family, my family was a mess at that time. Uh, but God sent the messenger into the mess and the testimony of just his goodness and mercy. I talk about that a lot, that the, the method is the only thing that I'm, I'm willing to, to tweak. Right. I always, I talk about that so often. I think you and I've actually talked about that. It's one of the lessons that I, I taught was when Paul, when Paul said it, when I was with the Jews, I acted as a Jew. When I was a Gentile, I carried myself as a Gentile. Paul, the man, was surrendered to Jesus Christ. Right. Paul, the man, was bringing the message of, of the gospel. He was bringing the message, the saving power of, of Jesus. He was, he was carrying that, and he, he wanted to see people come to know the Lord. But the method, the method is the only thing that I'm willing to say depending on who I'm talking to, I need to say this in a way that you're going to grasp it. So when I'm in, when I'm in the projects and I'm ministering to people, I'm talking to them very differently than I do in, in the boardroom or in the suburbs, but I'm not changing the message, the method of how I go about doing these things, you know? So um, whether it's through a one-on-one -on -one lunch or whether it's through a, a podcast, like we're doing right now, the, the method is the only thing that is I'm willing to, to tweak. You know, it's funny you say that, you know, over the course of, because we're really involved in ministry pretty much seven days a week and it differs so much. You know, we may be like on tomorrow, we'll be under the Claiborne Bridge at Orleans Avenue in downtown New Orleans. I have a taco truck. I have a trailer that's fully outfitted. I'll pull it up under the bridges. We'll spread out picnic tables. I'll crank up my loud gospel music and I'm 
I'm behind the grill cooking 500 meals for the homeless. Okay, now that looks a little bit different. Get to the end of the week, I'm setting up on the middle of uh, Bourbon Street, the 500 block where I've ministered out there for nearly 27 years, 20 years straight. And uh, I've got a PA system, uh, banners, and we're declaring the word of the Lord in that environment. The method's different, but you know what? Whether it's a taco, whether it's a, a cross on Bourbon Street, the message is always Christ in him crucified the power of God. We Come go on. into places where the elderly are. We minister to families and with children and communities. And, and you know, it's you, you do you do and take the message like just like you say, by all means that I can reach some. And uh, <clears throat> what's funny is my, my wife and I, we were raised, quote unquote, on the wrong side of town. We were raised in the hood. So that stuff's just normal to us. I mean, right. the, the first church I pastored at, at 24 years old uh, was where we grew up. And I mean, it was the neighborhood that was uh, surrounded by drugs, prostitution, gang activity. But we knew all the, the drug dealers. We knew the prostitute. We went to school with them. So it wasn't foreign to us. And so we never felt a threat by it. And then, but we, you know, I went into the banking industry. So I've been in areas that are more affluent. Uh, but you find out it's just people, you know, on Bourbon Street, we, we had the Bayou Classic, the Bayou Classic every year during Thanksgiving weekend. It's two of the, the historically black colleges. It's Grambling and Southern University. They have a football game. And so they come in every, every year during that, that period of time. And, but, and we had probably 40,000 people on Bourbon Street, 40,000 people in that environment. And we preached the gospel. And you know what? We had tremendous ministry. And so we'll take a team and go into uh, to our church at Daytona. And during a bike week or a Biketoberfest, there's 250,000 bikers. Brother, I've never been on the back of a motorcycle. I have a hard enough time keeping my, my Ford F-150 on the ground. But you know what? It's the same message in front of 250,000 bikers as it is in front of a crowded Bayou Classic. It's the gospel of Jesus Christ. And I think if we'll eliminate us, sometimes I think that we think we're more effective than, than Jesus is. And we've got to allow the Holy Spirit to do the word, get that word into there. And you'll find out that the people are people, whether they're on the back of a motorcycle, whether they're visiting a football game, whether they're uh, light complected or dark complected, if God's looking at the heart of people. And if we'll take the message that goes in and brings conviction of sin, righteousness, and judgment, we can eliminate all the stuff that we try to politicize and all these things that we even, we, even within the church community and find out that, you know, one, one day we're going to stand before God and a lot of those things that we put such emphasis on, he's not going to emphasize. He's going to look into the heart and lives of men and women. That, that phrase, keep the main thing, the main thing, right? <laughs> and you nailed it. Our, our church, I think is December 17th. We're getting ready to do our, um, our, our, our Christmas outreach where we make sure 500 kids have a Christmas mm -hmm. and we do a, a drive up outreach. So, the families drive up. They've already pre-registered. They drive up. We put the toys in the car. And how can we pray for you? What's going on in life? Do you know Do you know the Lord? And you find out very quickly, whether it be through the emails that we've been receiving or even that day, there's a lot of broken people out there. A lot of us are going through the exact same things. And I've said this on this podcast probably a hundred times. Our testimony is for someone else. And they can bring, and that, that story, that story can bring God glory and bring people to the saving power of Jesus just by you using the power of your life story and what you've been through to, to help minister to someone else. Absolutely. So you're right. It, we don't have to have all the, all the bells and whistles all the time. We just have to be willing, obedient, and just look, this is what Jesus did in my life. And I, if he did it for me, I know he can do it for you. Absolutely. So, you know, since you said that immediately reminded me back in, obviously a lot of people are familiar with when hurricane Katrina struck us here in, in 2005, um, wiped out the city. 
in 2006, when we would be hosting our normal uh, Mardi Gras outreach, the place that we hosted it in had taken on like 18 feet of water. It was wiped out so we couldn't utilize it. But just on the east side of the city, uh, there was a, uh, a, what do you call it, a, a relief center that's set up through a, a large denomination. That, but they weren't going to be using their building that weekend. And so I contacted them. They had showers and everything out there for volunteers. And I said, hey, can we host our, our group out there? We got about 150 people. And they said, certainly, we're not going to be there anyway. So we went out there. And, but they had a warehouse behind this place. It was stacked to the ceiling with all of these food items and supplies that had been donated to disperse during Hurricane Katrina. Well, the one guy that was left on site, he, I said, so what's all this stuff for? He said, it's, it's to give to the community. And I said, so why is it in the warehouse? <laughs> he said, I don't know. He said, they've been keeping the door. I said, can we give it away? And he's like, uh, I guess. And so we slung open the doors to that warehouse while these folks were gone and put a sign out on this road in, in New Orleans East. And within an hour, the line was stretched literally to the vanishing point. You couldn't wow. see it. But we had about 150 people that had come in for the mission trip. And so about every fourth or fifth car, we just stretched them out down the road from about 10 o'clock that morning till probably about eight o'clock that night. And so as the cars would come by, as they were waiting to come to the warehouse to get their, their food and supplies, man, people were praying for them. That's and so right. they, would be, they would be prayed for 30 or 40 times. People were ministering to them. And come so on, the people man. that were reluctant at the end of the line, by the time they got up front, man, God was doing miracles in their life. What was interesting, we totally emptied the warehouse on that Saturday afternoon. On Monday, when the folks that had operated that facility came back, the, the man in charge walked in the warehouse and it was empty. Now, his temperature went up and he said, what happened? And, and one of the people said, well, Pastor Troy gave it all away. And he's like, what? And so he comes he comes out to the front of the property looking for me but before he got there two semi trucks had pulled up in the driveway of this facility and i'm out there and the guy said hey listen we were supposed to bring these two semi loads to another ministry they've refused delivery wow. and we can't take them back would you guys be willing to receive these two uh, semi trailer loads uh, loads of food and supplies and i wow. said absolutely we just emptied the trailer and so it's coming up and i intersect with this guy and he's like what and i said hey listen I said, Bishop, uh, they just brought two semi trucks load to, to fill this place up. And he calmed right on down and realized that, you know, when you begin to give things away, you, you remain the conduit. A lot of times oh. we'll hold on to things and we'll try to warehouse the blessing that God gives to us. And he can't give us anything else because we've stopped the supply line. And he met with his people that, that, that afternoon and he took credit for this trucks dropping off. And I'm totally okay with that myself because hearts and lives were changed. And he talked about the miracle that God did that he wasn't willing to do it. So a lot of it's just being available, you know, and at the end of the day, I'm not looking to get my face on a billboard. I'm looking to put souls in heaven to meet people's needs. And, and a lot of times you just, you just got to really just be flexible. Blessed are the flexible. They don't get bent out of shape. Then you can respond to, to the Holy spirit and whatever he's telling you to do at any particular time. You're like, God, okay, maybe that's not me, but it's you. And if you're in it, I'm in it. If we can, as Christians, start to put aside who gets the credit, right? Man, we can do some real good. Oh, we really I'm, I'm talking the church right now. Like we, if we can put that aside, just because all the credit and all the glory has got to go to God anyway. And it's not a cliche thing. It's the way it's supposed to be, you know. So, when when did you um, when did you realize or know you were being called to be a a church planner and a pastor? Like when did you when did you start to receive that? Because you you planted some churches and right. obviously you're pastor a church right now. So if you could dive into that a little bit for anyone who is feels they're called to be a pastor and or church planner. You know, what's funny at about probably about 15 years old is when I knew that I knew that I knew. Uh, 
Mm-hmm. I knew that God had, had really called me to do something. I just didn't know how to define it. And so it's kind of like when you see, you know, those movies or you see a silhouette coming up over the horizon, you can see an outline and you're kind of left to say, okay, that's, is that a man coming up? I really can't tell. Is that a woman? But you just, you know, something's coming. And so at about 15, uh, I knew that God had called me to something, but I couldn't put a handle on it. And you know, what's interesting too, Eric, I, I, I didn't have anything around me that modeled what I felt. And so now I had a tremendous pastor that taught me the word and things of that nature. And I'd seen other things that, that really I had a lot of respect for, but nothing that scratched my itch that says, okay, that's what God's telling me to do. And I even remember, you know, going to, uh, to Bible college and, you know, here I am a young man and, uh, people say, so, you know, what's your major? And I didn't even know what to tell them. It's almost like I just felt obligated, you know, because they wanted to kind of put me in a kind of pigeonhole me into some type of description, but none of those things really adequately described what I felt God was telling me to do. And so I just faithful, just kept getting in the word, letting God uh, define those things in my life. But it was about 15 years old and just kept pressing in and said, God, uh, I'm, I'm not going to tell you what I want you to do for me. You know, people all the time, they, they say things like this, man, God sure is anointing what you're doing. People tell me that all the time. And inside, I kind of laugh. And I'm like, well, really, God's not anointing what I'm doing. I just do whatever he's anointing. And so if I see God blessing something, I just get in the middle of it because I want to be where he's at. I don't say, God, I got a plan and I need you to get on top of it. God, I said, listen, what is it that you bless? I was hungry. Did you feed me? I was naked. Did you clothe me? I was sick and in prison. Did you visit me? I was a stranger. Did you take me in? Whatever you've done to the least of these, my brethren, you've done it unto me. Okay, I want to do what you did. Go into all the world and preach the good news. What is he doing? Make disciples. And so uh, I just do whatever he's anointing. And people say, man, God's anointing you. No, 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 no. I just go where the anointing is when God uh, sets it apart. And so here I, I come back and we were uh, had gone to Bible college and things started a family and just really just started looking for a quote unquote a job. Now I was involved in my church. I had a a Bible group and Bible study group in my uh, home on Monday nights. And again, I'm in my early twenties at this time. And it had just blown up to like 30 or 40 people that were coming over to our home on, on Mondays. But what was interesting about that, not a lot of them actually went to our church. We had a church that we went to like 3000 people. Most of them were just people that weren't plugged into churches. And I didn't realize it was kind of like the old karate kid movie that God was giving me the wax on wax off, teaching me what he had how to be a shepherd and shepherd people. And so, uh, Oddly enough, uh, one Wednesday night, my son, who's now 35 years old, was a baby. And my wife said, hey, let's go across town to church. Now, when she said across town, she meant where we came from, over in the hood. And I'm like, okay. And so gathered up our son in his car seat, drove over, showed up at this church. Now, the neighborhood had kind of collapsed around this church over the years. And again, homelessness, prostitutes, and everything else. So we go in, the congregation at that point had really kind of become aged and uh, sweet people, the pastor, white haired guy up there, you know, when you're in your early 20s, anybody with white hair has got to be at least 100 years old. In your mind. <laughs> and so we sat through the service. It was nice. I went to grab my son from the, the nursery and the pastor walked up to me who I'd never had a conversation with prior to that. Didn't know him. And he said, hey, young man, can I talk to you for a minute? And I said, sure. And he said, what are you doing next Wednesday night? I said, sir, I, I don't know. What, what do you need? He said, listen, I got to get some uh, medical stuff done in another city. I wonder if you'd preach for me next week. Hmm. Now, I'd never preached in a pulpit at that point. I had a Bible group in my house on Mondays. He, did, he didn't even know that. And so before I could even think of what he asked me, I just said, sure. And he said, okay. He said, a couple of our elders will be here next week, and they'll kind of walk you through kind of the, the, the process. 
So I showed up the next week and I spoke. Uh, they didn't run me off or anything. And afterwards, a couple of those elders came to me and said, listen, we thought Pastor John would be back on Sunday morning or Saturday to preach on Sunday morning, but he's not going to be back until Sunday afternoon. Would you mind filling in for him again? And I said, sure. So I, I spoke that Sunday morning and after the service, they came up to me and said, hey, listen, uh, Pastor called. And he's not going to be back tonight. Could you preach again? And so here I go for having never done it. Now I've preached three times in a week. And uh, that conversation happened after every service for six weeks. So oh, wow. here I'm working in banking. I'm working 50 hours a week. And now I'm preaching to people, most of twice my age. Man, I'm grabbing a hold of the horns of the altar, just begging God to speak something to me because I'm thinking, God, what am I going to tell these people? You know, they've been around. They've served Jesus more than me. Half of them, I'm, I'm quoting them. You know, they were around when the Bible was written in my mind. <laughs> and, uh, and so I, I go into that church and I do that for six weeks. Six weeks later, he comes back and resigns just because he couldn't continue because of his health. And they approach me and say, hey, listen, would you mind serving as the interim pastor until we can figure out what we're going to do? And so I said, sure. And so uh, for about 10 months, I was, I was the interim pastor of that, that church. And then my, my company came to me and said, hey, listen, the, the, the management program you're in, we're about to promote you. And they were going to move me out of the city into another location because my job there had finished. And so I went back to the, the elders in church and said, listen, guys, I'm going to give you all the heads up in about six weeks. I'm going to be leaving. So y'all kind of need, you know, give you all the chance to get somebody else in here. It was funny. They were crestfallen, like we was hoping that you would stay and be the pastor. And I said, well, let me pray about that. So my wife and I did, but we knew what it would mean. Here we are going into a church that did not provide what I had in that job. I mean, on any level. I mean, I had a great job and it came to that kind of that crossroads. You know, am I going to lay up treasures for myself here on earth where moth and dust corrupt and thieves can break through and still am I going to lay a treasure up in heaven? And I really kind of had to put my life, our future and my family into the hands of God to he'd be the provider. And we decided, hey, listen, that's what God had called me to nearly 10 years earlier at 15 years old. I'm 24 at that point. And uh, so we did. And now here's kind of the, the funny twist in the story. About a month into that, they wanted to meet with me again. And they said, hey, listen, as you notice, we don't really have a vision for this community. We've just owned this building for years and uh, uh, we just don't know what to do with it. And so what we're going to do is we're going to give you this facility and we're leaving. And so the church resigned from me and gave us this quote unquote building in the middle of this community and they left. Wow. Yeah, it was kind of, I've never heard wow. the church resigning from me. I've heard them. They want the, the pastor to resign. <laughs> but you know what's funny, uh, Eric, is something rose up inside of us. It, it was really not, uh, not opposition. It was really opportunity. Here God is, has given us something to really reach this community. And so my wife and I, who had been married, I think, four and a half, five years at that point, man, we just got busy. It was just a, a couple, uh, she and I and a few that had come to the Lord in those, those 10 months that we'd been there. And we started hitting that community. We started doing Adopt-A-Block. We ended up taking over 48 blocks around the church. We had a Jesus Cafe where we were feeding 250 meals to the homeless. We ended up, uh, uh, during that season, we had a men's house where we were taking guys off the streets, drugs, a women's house. I mean, we were seeing God do some tremendous things. In that, and it was 14 years that we labored in that work. And it was really a kind of a proving ground for us. It taught us the dependence upon him. It taught us the... The, the, the essential nature of having a prayer life and believing God, staying grounded in that word and just um, seeing things from God's perspective on things. And this really just we brought and when I when I talk about 14 years, it was like our backside of the wilderness. It was difficult. 
I mean, it was tough times. I mean, when the, when the word tells us that the poor will always be among you, that was us. I mean, we, we were sometimes feeding hungry people while we were going hungry, but it just, it really built a resolve. And so now all these years later, there's not a whole lot that, that rattles my cage. I, I've been there, done that, seen God do miracles. And so we stepped out and, and it was 1991 is when that was to a level of faith that we still have to, even on a greater basis here in about to be 2023, it's just a, a lot more people are obviously involved and a, a lot greater uh, sphere of influence, but we still have to trust Jesus just like we did when we stepped out of our comfort zone in, in 1991 into a place that was relative unknown, but we saw what God had told us to do. We had a word. And so that's kind of where we launched into the ministry and God has kind of developed it. So it, uh, I, I couldn't say that it was like, you know, kind of uh, this typical pastoral ministry or typical, you know, whatever it might be. Uh, it's, it's just been a lot different and it really didn't have a whole lot of models to model it after. It was just, okay, God, whatever you want us to do, we're available to you. You know, it's not because of our ability because we didn't have any, but we definitely had an availability and continue to have the same availability today, whether it's giving talks, feeding tacos on Tuesday to the homeless or preaching under a cross or serving on a, the board of a Bible college. I mean, we do all those things, but it's, uh, again, just what you were talking about, becoming all things, all men, that by all means we can reach some and just remaining faithful over time. It's amazing what God can do with our yes, with our obedience, right. with a little bit of faith, faith of a mustard seed, whatever, whatever people want to say, it's amazing what, what he can do. That leads me into, into this. Can you talk about um, Ravens Ministries International and talk about everything you do there and then also talk about that the training center that that you have and i will i will lead into it with this i'm actually i'm getting more and more excited about this just sitting here talking i'm having a hard time sitting still right now um anyone who is listening um redwood is actually taking a team down to new orleans to participate in a missions trip with um and partner with ravens ministries international we as of right now uh, and we're still working on some of the details but I know that we're going to participate in your adopt a block program. I know that we're going to obviously do some ministry on, on, and some evangelism on bourbon street, um, as well as, um, the taco truck feed, the homeless minister and the homeless. And then I think we're going to also maybe help tutor some kids in some schools and we'll figure out some other stuff. I think we're coming somewhere between three to five days. So, um, I'm excited to get down there to, to, to do that. I've never, I, I've never actually had an opportunity to do evangelism like you do on bourbon street. Um, so far the team that's attending um, and coming along with me, they are, they are excited too. So right. can you explain a little bit about what that, what the, the training center does and then the ministry as a whole? Let me kind of give you the genesis of that. Yeah. Raven ministries uh, was kind of birthed out of my murmuring and complaining. <laughs> Let's be real honest with you. Me and a brother in the Lord were at a sitting in a Denny's restaurant on interstate 40 in Amarillo, Texas one day, just complaining about just the lack of uh, urgency in the body of Christ. And really God checked us on that. And so I'm sitting there with a pen and paper in my hand. And I said, and I told this brother, so really what needs to happen is he's got to restore a vision in order to evangelize nations, restore our a vision evangelize r-a-v-e-n and so that's where that the raven ministry people where that comes from it's restore vision evangelize nations so that's where that acronym was was birthed and so about that same time uh, he'd said hey listen we 
well, you go to New Orleans with me. I was like, what do I need to go to New Orleans for? He said, they have this event every year called Mardi Gras. And I kind of made a joke about it. Yeah, I've seen that episode of Cops or something like that. <laughs> and he said, he said, no, Pastor. He said, about one and a half million people go into the Crescent City every year uh, for uh, the carnival celebration. He said, they got one thing in common. In my mind, I'm thinking, yeah, they're all partying, they're drunk, they're out of their minds. He's like, no, they need to know what we know. And so he and his wife and my wife and I and five other people loaded up in a borrowed van. And I say a borrowed van because we didn't have a way to get the 925 miles from the Texas Panhandle to, to New Orleans. A guy dropped a van off the night before, and it only had two seats in it. It was like a cargo van. So we threw a couple of beanbag chairs in there, and, and we packed literally nine people into that van, came all the way in. And I'll, I'll never forget, uh, it still gets me to this day, brother, because it's so, it's so really impacted my life to that degree. We parked on Decatur Street and crossed into the French Quarter right there by St. Louis Cathedral. Place was teeming. I'm talking tens of thousands of people. And uh, I was undone. I was literally undone because here I am doing uh, ministry in our community and uh, doing, doing good works, all that stuff that we, we like to do. Uh, some of you could even call it kind of a social gospel. We were preaching the word. And we were faithful to it. But uh, it was like the scales literally got pulled off of my eyes, and uh, I felt so inadequate. I felt like, you know, what am I doing here? This is somebody else's job. And in my mind, I'm thinking, man, I, I had enough work to do at home. Why am I here? And the, and the Holy Spirit spoke to me that day, and he said, when you see it like I saw it, you'll do it like I did it. Mm, and uh, I'd been doing things, you know, and for all intents and purposes, Eric, they were, they were good things, you know. But uh, it was still easy for me at that point in my life to go into a shopping mall and just shop or have to wait another 20 minutes for my table at a restaurant and, and keep looking at my watch, not realizing that God wasn't telling me that he was going to give me a divine appointment. I was somebody's divine appointment. But so oftentimes, I, it was so easy to compartmentalize our obedience to Christ. And it was like I said, it was undone. And I remember walking down Bourbon Street during that time. And the, the spirit of God spoke so intimately inside. He said, son, what would you do if you were walking down this street and you saw a young woman run out of one of these buildings on fire? And in my mind, I answered, God, I'd do whatever I could to put her out. And he said, they're all on fire. And so sometimes, you know, I'm, I'm not a firefighter by trade, but I tell you what, if I saw somebody perishing in a car and I have and look like they were going to lose, man, I'll, I'll throw myself in there. I, I I'll go into EMT mode, whatever it takes. And I think sometimes we always think that our obedience to God is built simply upon our gifts, our talents, or whatever else, rather than just faithfulness to him. And so we took that nine people in. The next year, I think we took 20 from our church. The year after that, we took 40 from our church. And pretty soon, I was chartering buses from our church and emptying it and taking everybody into the streets. And we started reproducing that in people's lives and saying, listen, we can make a difference. If we can do it there, we can do it anywhere. But one of the things I found out you know, it's funny you mentioned Bourbon Street and people had the same reaction that I did back in 96. Oh, Bourbon Street. 90% of the people that come to New Orleans during an event like that are not from New Orleans. Mm. They're from Cleveland. They're from Atlanta, Georgia. They're from Miami, Florida. They're from Jacksonville or wherever. They're just people. And so Bourbon Street is just a street. I don't do street ministry. I just do people ministry. And Bourbon Street just happens to be where all those people show up from all over the world and I get to talk to them. And so if we can ever kind of remove kind of that stigma and that illusion and get past the, you know, the, the, the garage bands that are playing in those clubs and the bright lights and just realize, folks, listen, we're just dealing with people. 
And so now after all these years at closer to 60 than I am 50, most of the people out there are my kids and grandkids' age. And so I'm not impressed with all the hoopla. I'm just looking for that one, even as the word tells us that Jesus will leave the 99 and he'll go to that one. He said, there's more rejoicing in the presence of the angels in heaven over that one lost sinner that repents than over the 99 that didn't need to. And it's funny, we can go to a worship conference and we get excited. But if we compare that to what's happening in heaven, you know, look at the, the book of the Revelation. I saw the four and 20 elders casting their crowns before him. Holy, holy, holy. It don't compare to that. Hmm. But what causes heaven to stand up and take notice is when somebody hears and responds to the gospel of Jesus Christ. We have That's the good. opportunity to really cause something to happen in the heavenlies, but we miss that so much. So we, we began to bring those teams and in 2003 in the summer. Uh, the Holy Spirit spoke to my wife and I said, I want you to, to leave this work that you've built for 14 years uh, and I want you to go to New Orleans. And so we loaded up at that time, our uh, two kids and came to New Orleans. We had no financial support. We didn't even have a place to live. And so we loaded up all our belongings, left those things behind because that wasn't our promised land. That was simply our proving ground. Came to New Orleans, had just enough money. I'd had a, a, a vehicle that I sold, had just enough money to get utilities on, maybe pay a uh, to, to uh, deposit in first month's rent and just had to trust God from there. And so we actually had to stay at, it was funny, we stayed in a storage facility for a few days because we didn't have anywhere to stay, but we, we had a word from God. And so it wasn't over and above the call of duty. It was just simply reasonable service because man, we were chomping at the bit to see what God had for us. And so out of just that single step of just, like you said, just saying, yes, Lord God, here I am, send me. You don't have to offer me any guarantees. You, you don't have to, to lay everything out for me. Lord God, I'm just the steps of good men are ordered by God. And so God, just give me the next step and I'll be obedient to it. God, give me the next step and I'll be obedient to it. So from that word that when you see it like I saw it, you'll do it like I did it. We just stepped out in faith and just we just keep stepping out in faith. And so what's funny, this 2023 will mark 20 years since we came to New Orleans full time. In 2014, uh, God gave us what's now called the Raven Ministries International Training Center. 20,000 square feet, seven minute drive from downtown New Orleans, where we do so much ministry. Uh, but I'd looked at this building in the summer of 2012, I think it was 2013, uh, excuse me, 2012. And uh, it was, it had been formerly a Bible college. So I called a friend of mine up that I knew that had been so previously associated with it. He pastors up in, in uh, Chicago now. And he said, yeah, I got the number of the, uh, the chancellor, just call him up. I got a cell phone number. So I called him up. And told him, and he's like, yeah, he said, we had that appraised after Hurricane Katrina uh, for like $1.5 million. He said, we had it on the market for 800000 But I tell you what, for what you guys do, we'll let you have it for what's owed against it. And he said, it's $450,000. Now, it went wow. from $1.5 million thereabouts to $450,000. And now, I didn't happen to have half a million dollars on me anywhere at that time. <laughs> and so I'm like, hey, thank you so much for talking to me. I'll get back with you. Click. I and mean, honestly, I, wouldn't, I had no intentions of getting back with him. you know. And so... A little while later, a brother in the Lord called me up and he said, hey, listen, whatever happened on that building? So I told him and he said, I think you ought to call him back up. And, uh, and so I said, OK, so I, I sent a text message to him. I said, is that facility still available? And he said, he said, yeah, and he, he, but he actually he called me up and he said, yeah, he said, listen, I meet with our board of regents on Friday. He said, make us an offer. Make us, he said, make us a ridiculous offer and we'll see what we can do. And that's what he said. So on Friday, I sent him a message. And I said, would $170,000 be too ridiculous? And he immediately sent me a text message back and said, sold. But what's wow. wild, I didn't have $170, let alone $170,000. But unbeknownst to me, the Lord had already spoke to another brother in the Lord and said, listen, I'm going to 
I'm going to provide the resources through you to buy the ministry. And so when it came to close, pay off in full. And so here we are, this facility, God delivered into to our hands. But here's, wow, here's the lesson that he, he taught me. And I, and, I, and I hope it's an encouragement, not just to you, Eric, but other people that would be listening to the podcast. God will supply all of our need according to his riches and glory through Christ, not our wants. And so before we had this place, we were just walking in obedience to the point of need. We were get on the streets. We were feeding the hungry. We were discipling people. We were bringing people into our home. And we created a need because of just the obedience, the fruit that God was pouring out of it. A lot of people are saying, God, as soon as you give me something, then I'll be obedient. I've never had that mentality because I never had anything. All I had was a word from God. It wasn't saying, okay, God, I'll move to New Orleans. As long as you give me a place to live, you, you give me a salary, you give me all of these things, then I'll do it. I just said, God, you point the way, push me out into the deep. And God, you're going to have to be my life ring. And so he birthed this place. And now we host, a, we have a, an internship that we take in young people from 18 to 26 years old. And there's, there's a little latitude on that. Uh, but, uh, and we disciple them and really teach them what ministry looks like in real life. And so they come into our home. My wife and I live here at the facility. So we're here 24 seven. And so young people are coming in, right. uh, getting into the word, the words getting into them. We're not raising them up in the menial. We're raising them up to do the work of the ministry. It's like Keith Green said, every generation is responsible for the souls of their generation. And so we're teaching them to get in the gap, to become the repairs, of the breach, the, 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 the builders of fall, fallen walls and to give them that heart for the kingdom. And so out of that, God birthed the Raven Ministries International Training Center. And here's a, here's a great testimony too, is out of that, we, we just recently done a, another kind of a, a flagship church launch here in New Orleans as well, called the, the Raven Ministries Harvest Center. And so God has blessed us with a facility here that, uh, that's in a, a community, it's literally five minute drive from the training center that we just had our first services the 20th of November and able to bring people in and to have a, a greater facility to a worship facility to continue to train and to, to raise up laborers into the harvest as well. So we're, we're just all about just discipleship, reproduction and sustainability over time. We found out, once I said, if God's anointing it and we'll do it, he'll meet the need. He'll provide the resources, the manpower and, and those things associated with it, because that's what he's obligated to. He's not obligated to, to meet my, my Christmas list or right. to, to, to somehow just to, to be my spiritual tender date that I have on the side. He, he wants to be that one that's central to everything that I do. And I just simply have walked in obedience to him and tried to kind of uh, show people that that's really that what it really comes down to. If we want God to be glorified, just glorify God in what we do in our lives. That is a powerful story. Thank you so much for, for sharing that. Amen. So do you regret saying 170? Would you have gone like 50,000? You could go back and be, I'm kidding. I'm kidding. <laughs> yeah, you know, it's funny about that, though. He, he later told me, the, 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 the chancellor of the university, he said, the Holy Spirit had always spoke to him and told him, whatever he offers you, take it. Whatever he offers you, take it. And so, hey, listen, I didn't say God met that need. I could offer right. him whatever. God was going to meet the need anyway. So, And I kind of, what's funny is coming from a banking industry, uh, I was a numbers guy. And so it was always right. that I had to get delivered from that mentality, brother. There's nothing that I do to this very day that, that makes any sense. I mean, it really doesn't. I mean, it, uh, the, the, the amount that it, of, of financial resources that it requires to do that. We, what we do, it don't make any sense, but God always takes care of it. And so, and that's the thing about just being faithful over time. God, I'm going to be faithful, whatever your blessing, whatever your resourcing, 
that's what I'm going to do. I'm not going to try to reinvent the wheel. I just want to be faithful to Jesus. And uh, I've never seen the righteous forsaken or God's seed begging for bread. That's good. That's so good. We are excited to come down there and and learn from from you guys and partner with you guys. So I'm I'm looking forward to it. August 2023, we will be there. Jesus name, Jesus and name. And brother, you get to meet a lot of people. We're just what's funny is we're just we're just really who we are. Right. So ministry is not what we do. It's just who we are. Uh, there's no pretense. There's no big me, little you. I, I like you said. You call me. I answer my own phone. You know. Right. I like talking to people. Uh, I'm out there in in the middle of places that people would say it's dangerous. You know, it's not dangerous for me. It's dangerous for them. You know, greater is he that's in me than he's in, he that's in the world. That's right. you know, I know who my source is. I know who the one that protects me. I've preached in Muslim countries. I've preached in pretty much every major inner city across this nation. I don't feel threatened. I'm the threat. You know, I'm the threat right. to, to darkness. I'm the light shining in the dark. It's funny. You go into an old tenant uh, a house and you turn the lights on. It's the cockroaches that are running, you know, right. you know, because the light comes on. And we let our light shine before men that they can see our good works and glorify our Father who is in heaven. So even whether it's a Bourbon Street or some inner city, you know, this just be the light. And what you're going to find is somewhere behind, I always think of in terms of uh, when they came to take Jesus uh, in the Garden of Gethsemane and Peter cut the, 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 the servant's ear off, whose name was Malchus. And only one of the Gospels even give his name. You know, they just talk about the servant. But we got to realize that a lot of times we get so distracted by the wound that we forget about the wounded. That he was a man. He was somebody that had a family that Jesus would die for as well just a few hours later. And so it's easy to get caught up and get distracted by the wounds of society, all this stuff, rather than realizing that the heart of the issue is there's a wound called sin. And God, and you, your sin's either separating you from God or God's going to separate you from sin. And we have the great separator. We have that thing that separates them from sin and brings them into a relationship with Christ Jesus. But we just got to be obedient to it. That's right. That's right. So I'm going to give you some time here to talk to this, whatever degree you want to. Matthew 28, 16 through 20, the Great Commission. You've already, you've already touched on it, but why do you... Why do you feel it is so important for Christians to, to share their faith? And what advice would you give them on that? But feel free to, if you want to read that scripture, go right ahead. But I want you to talk about that to whatever degree you feel, um, you know, you feel called to do right now. Hey Amen. I'm going to, I'm going to back up to yeah. the ninth chapter first, because, you yep. know, it, it's funny. You get some of those times and you probably have them in your life. You get kind of those life verses that are constantly reminded to you in, 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 Part of mine is out of uh, Matthew chapter, uh, chapter 9, 36 through 38. And we'll jump into to Matthew 28 in a second. Yeah. But what's, what's interesting, you, you think about when Jesus in 30, 36 says when he saw the multitudes. Yep. But prior to that, it says that Jesus went into all the cities and villages. And he said, teaching in their synagogues, preaching the gospel of the kingdom, healing every manner of sickness and every disease among the people. Now, we, regardless of where, who we are as far as, called to preach. We would love to stop right there. We really would. I mean, you think about it. He got to be the guest speaker at churches. He got to be the conference headliner. He, uh, today's he'd be the con he'd be the social media legend. He'd be the power player, all those things, man, I got to preach in church to church. I saw miracles happen, all these things. But then it says in verse 36, but, but when he saw the multitudes, he was moved with compassion for them because they were weary. It says they were scattered like sheep having no shepherd. Then he said that his disciples, he said, the harvest truly is plenteous, but the labors are few. He said, pray, therefore, the Lord of the harvest, send out labors into his harvest. Mm -hmm. what, what's interesting, what he saw, he it didn't say he was moved. 
by his guest speaking. It didn't even say he was moved by his miracles. Come he on, said what moved, what moved God incarnate was what he saw happening to the multitudes. I think about what was it, Joel, uh, in the, uh, the, the book of Joel, Prophet Joel. Multitudes, multitudes in the valley of decision. The day of the Lord is near in the valley of decision. Wherever I go and I preach the gospel, I create a valley of decision. There's a decision to be made. They're going to make it one way or another. Gonna, I've set before you life, and I've set before you death, and I would that you choose life. And so when it says that he saw the weary, it's literally a, a word in the Greek that means to be mangled or harassed. Now, in, in 32 years of ministry to the broken, you know, we say we take the good news into the bad places. Brother, I've seen people that's lives and souls have been mangled and harassed by the devil. I, I've, I, I could give you testimonies until tomorrow just about the destitution. But he said, not just weary, he said, but also scattered. And that means to be cast off. It means to hit rock bottom. I've met the rock bottom of society and I've seen God reach down. Isaiah 59, one and two says, God's hand is not too short that he cannot save. Neither is his ear too heavy that he cannot hear. He said, but it's our sin that separates us from God. And again, we've got the great, the bridge and the gap through the gospel. And so a lot of people would like the hype. They like that part of it. But he said, I pray that the Lord of the harvest sent laborers. That's just those willing to get their hands dirty. Now I'm willing to get my hands dirty. It's willing to, to be the field worker. I'm not looking to be on a billboard. I'm not looking to get my name out there. But that's who Jesus was looking for. And so when, when he tells us what moved him, I want to be moved by the same things that moved him. I want to see Come a multitude on. and not be moved with disgust. I want to be moved with compassion. I, I don't want to see people that are that are just walking totally contrary to God and say, how wicked are they? Well, such were some of us That's before real. the grace of God came down and changed and transformed us. And so then when he gets into to, to Matthew uh, 28 and he says in, in 18, he said he spoke to them and he said, all authority has been given to me in heaven and in earth. And he said, therefore, you go and make disciples stop of all nations. Well, the problem is, is the church has failed miserably at making disciples of Jesus. We've made disciples of men, but Matthew 16 and 24, he says, if you want to be my disciple, okay, what do you do? You deny yourself. Well, we don't preach a gospel of self-denial. You talk about the, the, the hedonistic, narcissistic uh, uh, generation. Judges 2.10 says, after all those mighty things he's done, a generation rose up that did not know God or even remember the mighty things that he's done. Second uh, Timothy chapter three says in the last days, perilous times will come. And the first thing that it says, men will be lovers of themselves. Mm. I, I found out that these people have these IG accounts and they're influencers and they just take pictures of themselves and they're making money off them themselves. I'm thinking, how do you take a picture? Man, nobody paid to see this mug. You know, they paid <laughs> not to see it maybe, but it's such a self-centered and self-focused message. And so you, you have preachers that, that, that they, they, their cottage industry out of saying, God wants to give you your best life now. Brother, I don't want my best life now. Then what am I looking forward to a, a trillion years from now when, when I'm with him? Jesus didn't come, amen, to make me happy. He came to make me holy. And so he doesn't have a plan for my life. He has a plan for my death. That's what it is. And so because my flesh and my blood and my life, whoever saves his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. His plan is for my death. I've got to be like John to decrease so that he can increase. And he said, teach, go and make disciples that deny themselves, take up their cross. Galatians 2.20, I'm crucified with Christ. Nevertheless, I live, but it's no longer I that live. 
It's not Troy's dreams, Troy's ambitions, Troy's ministry, but it's Christ Jesus who lives in me and the life that I not live in the great by and by, the life that I now live, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. So my existence is I'm totally indebted to the Christ who came down in the form of sinful flesh and for sin, gave his life a vicarious death upon the cross of Calvary, hung between two thieves and said, Father, forgive them. They don't know what they're doing. He said, if I'm wow. lifted up, not at some praise and worship conference, but the cross of Calvary, I will draw men to me. Where? To the place of the cross where I have to deny myself, where I have to take up that cross or identify with him. Then I can follow him. Then I can be a disciple. Go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all the things that I've commanded you. He said, I'm with you always, even to the end of the age. All of those things. Well, part of that all things is, brother, I'm not an evangelist, but I get accused of being an evangelist. You know why? Because I evangelize. I don't evangelize because I'm evangelized. I evangelize because I love Jesus and I want other people to know it. I'm the most unlikely quote unquote street preacher or evangelist ever because that is so outside of my wheelhouse. That is outside of my comfort level. But you know what it's not outside of? It's not outside of the person of the Holy Ghost inside of me. Acts chapter one and verse eight. He said, you shall receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you and you shall be a witness. So you know why I witness? Because the Holy Spirit, according to 1 Corinthians 3 and 16, dwells inside of me. So something comes out of me that's in his person. The urgency that I have, it's on loan from the person of the Holy Ghost that's come into my life and has made me a new person. And so I don't have to take some personality test and find out if I'm caloric or sanguine or whatever else. Man, I pick up that word. That word gets inside of me. It changes and transforms me. And so I can see people through the lens of heaven. I can see people the way he sees these people and I get moved by what moves him. And so I become that voice. And so Jesus had laid that groundwork for us in, in, in Mark 16, 24, going to all the world and preach the good news. Those that, 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 that believe and are baptized shall be saved, but those that don't, they're damned, they're, damned, they're con condemned. We love the John 3, 16. We love that God so loved the world that he gave. Well, what about, but this is the condemnation that light has come into the world, but men love darkness rather than light because their deeds are evil. You know, I know from first John chapter three, that the reason Jesus came was to destroy the works of the devil. And he's given us that commission, not just the, 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 the word of reconciliation, but he's given us the ministry of reconciliation to go along with it. And so if I'm, if I'm walking in obedience as a, as an under shepherd of the Lord Jesus Christ, I'm going to teach people to follow him. And so what's interesting to me, and you don't see it in the, in the book of acts in the early church. Now evangelism, soul winning, has become just a program of the church rather than the purpose of the church. Right. Brother, there's 31,101 verses in this Bible right here in 66 books and 1179 chapters. I read this thing cover to cover every three months. I've never found that, 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 that somehow that we've had to abdicate the responsibility that he came for one reason. Was it Luke 19.10? To seek and to save that which was lost. And it's like, well, that's not my call. My call is to hand out flyers or my call is to... Well, brother, as you're handing them out, preach the gospel. Right. If you're feeding a taco, preach the gospel. You, you, we got to be. Why? Because that's what he's chosen. Was it 1 Corinthians 8, uh, 1, 18, 25? It says, for the preaching of the cross is to them that perish foolishness, but the under which are saved, it's the power of God. And so he's chosen, chosen us to be that mouthpiece to preach the good news of salvation. We love the, 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 the Romans uh, 10, 9, and 10. Confess with your mouth, the Lord Jesus Christ, believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead and, and you'll be saved. But what about how will they know? How can they call on him if they've never heard about? It? How can they hear without a 
preacher. How beautiful are the feet of those that bring the good news. So every single one of us, for whatever that platform is, whatever that, 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 that thing that God has given us specifically, man, it's got to be a platform to, to warn them. If our gospel be hidden, it is hidden to them that are lost, those that are, are perishing. And so with the Great Commission, we've had this great omission. And so it becomes, you know what, I'll do that because, oh, yeah, I evangelized. Well, when did you do it? Well, uh, I, I went to, you know, Central America back in, you know, 2014 on a mission trip. What you do in your backyard or at Walmart or the grocery store at your workplace? You know, there ought to be something inside of us because I tell you what, when people show up at work on a Monday morning like today where we're recording this podcast, I guarantee they're talking about their favorite football team. Well, I'm, you know who I'm talking about? I'm talking about my, my favorite. I'm talking about the ancient of days, the, 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 the one that's delightsome to me, who's Jesus. And so out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth is going to speak. And so when I get that word inside of me, and I get that relationship inside of me through worship, through, through prayer, through seeking God, through walking in obedience, then I just can't help it. Then it, I'm able to overcome my, my fears and my insecurities and all those things that would encumber me in any way. And then what does it do? It compels me. It causes me to want to be his heart and voice. So me as a minister of the gospel, whatever uh, the Ephesians of 4, 11, and 12, you want to put on me a, from apostle, prophet, evangelist, pastor, teacher, I, I really don't care about those things. Man, at the end of the day, I'm just a servant of the most high. And so I want to reproduce what Jesus did. So Jesus, what? He preached to the lost. His first message, Matthew chapter 4 and verse 17, repent for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. You know, the moral compunction to think differently. Unless you repent, you'll perish. I want to be, I want to be like my my my, my savior. I want to be like my my heavenly father. I want to walk in his footsteps and teach other people to do that exact same thing. So whoever's listening, watching, listen, we, we can't omit that. And somehow to think that we're going to stand before God on that day, Matthew chapter seven says, Not everyone that says unto me, Lord, Lord, will inherit the kingdom, but those that do the will of my father who is in heaven. Well, his he's got one will that none should perish, that all should come to repentance. And so if somehow we've, we've outsourced our obedience. We said, listen, yeah, I evangelize. I send $50 a month to the sub-Saharan Africa. Well, you're not evangelizing. You're just writing a check. You're, you're outsourcing your obedience. I don't want to outsource my obedience to win the loss no more than I want to outsource my prayer life, no more than I want to outsource my worship of him. You know, I worship. I bought a CD from Hillsong or I bought a Hills, uh, CD from, from uh, Elevation. That's not our worship. And so just like I can't plump down $20 and outsource my, my worship, I definitely can't outsource my obedience as well. And so if we're genuinely obedient to walk in the Great Commission, and we're walking in obedience as disciples, that's what we're going to do, because that's what he did. I don't, I don't think there's a whole lot of negotiation provided what I see in the, the scripture, that if we're going to be his disciples, we got to do it. Many people are going to come to me and talk about what he said in Matthew 9.35. I preached in all these places. I did the miracles. He's going to say, I don't know you. You did it in my name because you didn't do it according to my will. And it's a big difference between doing things in his name versus doing things in according to his will. I, I knew, I knew I had the right person coming on to talk about this. <laughs> um, I'll give you a second to catch your breath, but I'm not going to add too much to that because I don't think, I think you nailed it. If we're going to teach about the saving power of Jesus, we also have to teach about Jesus being the Lord and master of our lives as well. And we can't leave that part out. We can't leave out the obedience part. We can't leave out the, the surrender part. We can't leave out 
we have to teach and preach the whole gospel and, and give right. the, the whole doctrine, which is exactly what you, you said. And I'm summing up what you, what you say, cause I'm giving right. you a second to take, to take your breath. Cause you just dropped a whole sermon there in about 10 minutes. So I just <laughs> go ahead and, but it's, we have to, we have to teach that. And it's one of the things that I'm doing in my church right now. I, I called our head pastor and I said, I owe you an apology. As far as this church being a soul winning church, I oversee that area and I've, I've missed the mark. And I said, in 2023, we're revamping this whole thing that soul winning is going to be the soul identity of this. And I'm, I'm working to, to put that together right now. Um, so you, you have given me more confirmation and even more motivation. So, um, cause if it's important to Jesus and that's what he told right. us to do, why would that then be the one thing that we are not doing? I don't get it. And I don't um, get it. And it's the community service projects are great. I'm not saying we're going to get rid of those things, but we are going to attach the quote unquote soul winning element to everything that, that we are, are doing. And if we can't do that, then we need to scrap what we're doing. So that is the only thing that we're doing, which is winning souls for the Lord. Amen. But then the other piece that I'm adding to it is if those people um, give the lives to the Lord and they come to our church, there's going to be a place to receive them so they can continue. And by that, I mean, a small group or connect group where they can continue to get discipled and learn about, about Jesus. So they're not just like, okay, I just gave my life to Christ. What now? No, it's like, okay, you, your next step, we're going to help you with these next steps, but that group's also going to help the people who are leading those to the Lord. So they continuously get poured into as well. So it's literally going to be disciples, making disciples, making disciples. So, um, cause again, we got to teach the whole gospel. We, we have to teach about the saving power, but him also being the Lord and master of our lives. And it's, I know people don't like the words oh, obedience or or coming under submission or coming under someone, but you know, you the heart, you know, we someone has like someone right. Barnabas, Paul, Timothy, someone had to teach somebody else. Right. <laughs> so it, it really you think about it back to that Ephesians 4 11, 12. He's given apostles, prophets, evangelists, pastors to, to equip the saints for the work of the ministry. There's really only one ministry, it's called the ministry of reconciliation. Now, I've done it when I was a banker just as I've done as a preacher. And so I'm, I'm always in that ministry of reconciliation mode, whatever the hat is that I'm functioning under, you know, ministry of reconciliation is a mother that's ministering to other moms or a, a construction worker that's doing it on his, his, uh, his job site. And so we're always in the ministry of reconciliation. But, but the problem is, is when we, again, abandon that role and we don't take it serious, and we think that somehow that's somebody else's responsibility. I, I wanna be responsible because you take that word responsibility when I respond, it gives me the ability. Brother, there's things that I can do simply because I'm obedient. It's kind of like uh, the what's in Avengers, and you got the Iron Man character. The only reason he's a superhero is because he's in the suit. As long as he's in the suit, he's a superhero. He takes it off, he's just a guy with some cool sunglasses and a lot of money. He's not a superhero. So for us, when we, when we put on the suit, we clothe ourselves with the robes of righteousness and obedience, man, there's an ability that we have. Now we understand 2 Corinthians 5, 17, that I'm a brand new person. All those limitations that I have, I'm not limited by those things because I'm not walking in the flesh. I'm walking in the spirit, and I genuinely can do all things through Christ Jesus who gives me strength. I've not given, been given a spirit of fear, but of power and of love, and i got a sound mind. I'm able to give an answer to any man that would ask for that reason that hopes inside of me by the person of the Holy Spirit. And so for me, coming from the most unlikely of backgrounds, not the right personality type and all those things, but I tell you what, what I got. I got Christ in me, the hope of glory. I got the power of the Holy Spirit in me. And as long as I walk and I'm clothed in that, 
but I, I don't walk in any fear. I don't say I can't do that. Hey, you need uh, you need somebody to go preach in a in a in a in a, in a very burned out area. I can do that. Somebody sing a song. Yeah, I don't have the greatest voice, but you know what? I can do it. If Christ, need somebody to babysit some kids, I can do that. To feed the hungry, to feed the homeless, I can do all things through Christ because He's the one that gives me strength. I'm not doing it according to the work of my own hand and my own strength, my own education, my own experience. I'm going to trust God in the moment, and I'm believing that God's going to allow me to do exceedingly abundantly more than ever I could ask, ask or think. And we've got to bring the church back to that. But I think where the wheels have fallen off, we get in this weird cessationist thing that we don't believe God moves, and we've eliminated all of these things. The Bible says, even for uh, Ephesians 4, 11, you know, now, do I believe that God ordained 12 apostles? I do. I don't see where he eliminated that apostolic office maybe not defined the same way. Do, do I see where uh, that, that God has prophets? Yeah, not like the prophets of old, but the prophets that described in 1 Corinthians 14 that, that speak prophetically to edify, exhort, uh, or exhortation and comfort. But what we've done is we've eliminated those and we start with uh, evangelist, pastor, teacher. But because we've, we've broken that thing up, that fivefold ministry, there's no stopgap. You look at the book of Acts. They remain steadfast in the apostles' doctrine and in fellowship, breaking bread from house to house. Then we see where the Lord added to the, the church daily. The, the problem is, and I, I get called Pastor Troy. I'm, I'm probably not your typical pastor, though. Pastors are warehousers. We, we really are. And I'll, I'll give you an example. I was part of a church of thousands of people in Texas. Now, I had friends in other churches that were struggling. In our church of several thousand, we had people that were gifted in in musicians that had a call for children's ministry that were that had a passion for youth that just sat there every week because there was no outlet for them we had churches that were across town that were in, in, uh, in impacting their neighborhoods that were really having to believe god every week just to keep the electricity on our church didn't have that problem but we weren't paying their light bill with our excess we boasted about we've got a, a million dollar endowment we've got all these people that are here that we're just sitting here Brother, we'll pay for that one day. We will pay for that because what we've done is we've allowed as leaders for our disobedience to push other people's talents down. And we said, you only got one talent. Just sit here. I may need you in, in five or 10 years or, or not at all. Rather than saying, you know what? We got brothers on the other side of the Jordan, so to speak. You look at the, the, the two and a half tribes that took their inheritance. He said, yeah, you can have your inheritance here, but you got to go fight for other people as well. As the body of Christ, we've become so fragmented. And so we think we're the only show in town. Why don't I take what I have and help somebody else? I mean, I got a guy here that he don't have a place on the worship team. I mean, that, that, that group across that church across town, man, he could really be a blessing to them. Why don't we sow that guy, his family and his tithe into that church? Brother, you got a gift. You don't need to be sitting here listening to somebody else doing it. Hey, there's a pastor friend of mine that I pray with a couple of times every other month. And man, he, he, he could use your help. I, I love you. I'm glad you're here. But honestly, I don't need you here. I've discipled you. You've said the word. Man, go be a help to them. And we could do that in so many areas, but we want to we have it to ourselves. And so for me, I just totally think outside of that. How can I be a blessing? How can I be a resource and a conduit to someone else? And I think if we thought that, then, then nobody would, would lack. We would take what we have. We'd sell it. We'd give it to If I've got two, that means I got one and you got one. Mm -hmm. And so as, as, as believers in discipling, expanding the kingdom, we've just lost the kingdom focus and we've, we've adopted this, hey, I need to get more. And, and I get blown away even by multi-campus uh, churches that have thousands of people. 
but only one person is worthy to speak into those churches. They have to beam, to beam the same guy in. Brother, listen, I could not be on Raven Street Church on a Friday or Saturday night, and I don't have to beam my preaching, my street preaching in. You know why? Because I've discipled people that can do it and they never miss a lick. Uh, I don't have to be in my pulpit every Sunday. You know what? I don't have to be there. Somebody else is going to preach, and it's the same gospel, it's the same word, the same anointing. Why? Because I've been willing to disciple and enable people and to release them into their calling. And so there's this fearful thing has become such an occupational, almost a hireling mentality. I can't let anybody in there because they might like them better, or they might be a better preacher. They might be a better singer. They might be better. Praise God for it. Let me decrease so that he can increase. Right. And I'll go somewhere else and facilitate someone else. So we've got to get back to a kingdom mindedness because building our own kingdom, that's never going to impress God on the day of judgment. And when we repress people that we were supposed to disciple and enable them to do great exploits, we said, listen, your job is just to come back. I was teaching a group of pastors one time, a group of 40 or 50 of them. And I asked the question, I said, and I, I pointed out one, one gentleman in particular. I said, let me ask you a question. Say you're preaching on, in your church about reaching your community. And there's two men in the church that have been faithful. These guys have been with you for a number of years. Their families are there. They're faithful givers. They're, they're faithful to, to volunteer for whatever. And they come to you after that first service and you're doing this series on reaching your, your city. And they said, Pastor, listen, we're going to tell you, we're with you. We, we have the same heart and we're behind you a thousand percent. If nobody else is, we're behind you. And I said, Pastor, and so the next week, Sunday comes along and you notice that neither one of those guys are in church that week. And you think, well, maybe they, maybe somebody in the family's ill or they're on vacation. I said, then the next week, they're not at church again. I said, what are you going to think to yourself about those two guys that two weeks prior came and said they're with you to reach the city? He's going to say, I, I, I'm going to probably think that they weren't serious. I said, see, there's the problem. I said, they didn't tell you they were committed to coming back and shining their shoes every week. Why didn't you think to yourself, hey, listen, at least I've got two guys that believe what I preached two weeks ago and they don't need me spoon feeding them. They're probably out in the community doing what I've taught people to do. See, we don't think in those terms. We don't really want people to, to get excited about soul winning because that might take them out of all those 50 other programs that we have to entertain the church. We're so entertainment driven rather than equipping people to go and make a difference. Brother, you know, you talk about bringing a mission. Most people can't do evangelism because they're too busy with other things, too busy with, 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 with high maintenance, low impact converts rather than, than high, high impact, low maintenance converts. And so we've got to always entertain them. I say this all the time. Whatever you win them with is what you win them to. If I win them with a pizza, it's going to take two to keep them. If I win them with some type of event, next year I'm going to have to give them a bigger gift or I'm going to have to raffle off a bigger TV or something else because they're always going to look for that their source. But he's able to keep those things that we commit to him. I win them with the gospel. Christ is able to keep them. First John chapter 1 and verse 6 says, if we claim to have a relationship with him, but we walk in darkness, we lie and do not the truth. Now, what is that darkness? That's anything that's not the light. He goes on to say, but if you walk in the light, as he is in the light, then you have fellowship with one another and the blood of Jesus cleanses you from all sin. Well, what we've done in modern churchianity is that we've said, come and pray this prayer and get saved. And I hope you'll come to church. Then eventually you'll learn the truth. Well, we get we got these people that are making decisions, really knowing what they're not even knowing what they're making decisions about. We're telling them, repeat my magic mantra, repeat this prayer, and you're fixed. Well, they go home and they're not fixed. They're they're, they're still foul mouth. They're still walking in all this type of bondage. They're, they're they still never, don't don't have a desire for the word of God. Well, because we've told them, listen, the fix is just repeating. We we give them Romans ten nine and ten, not realizing that Romans one one through Romans ten nine eight 
allowed us to give them Romans 10. So we eliminate the Romans 6, 1, for instance. If, do I continue to sin so that God's glorious grace can abound? God forbid. Or that whole sixth chapter saying, listen, we, we've got to, we, 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 we're slaves to righteousness now. We eliminate that stuff and say, just pray this prayer. So we flipped it around. Pray the prayer. I hope you get in church. Then eventually you'll know the truth. Rather than saying, listen, I'm going to give you the uncut version of what discipleship and what following Jesus looks like. Then I hope you come to church and get in fellowship and you see what it looks like. That way, when you make the decision to follow Christ, you're not in this perpetual backslidden condition. Oh, I'm just constantly struggling. Well, those that are that are that are born of God, first John says, overcome the world. And this is the victory that overcomes the world, even our faith. But faith only comes from hearing, hearing by the word of God. Without faith, it's impossible to please him, that those that come to him have got to believe that he is, and that he's a rewarder of those who diligently seek after him. There's got to be a diligence that's communicated into people's lives, not just some say, hey, pray this quick prayer, you're fixed up, hey, you're probably going to struggle. Well, why not tell them you're probably going to have victory? Because, brother, 38 years ago when I decided to get serious about Jesus, I haven't lived the life of, oh, one minute I'm down. I, I don't battle depression. I, I'm, I'm, not, uh, I, I'm not sweetly broken. I'm not burned out. And I'm, I'm busy, but I'm definitely not burned. I really love serving Jesus. I love knowing him. I love seeking him. I love staying in the word. I walk in the joy of the Lord. All these. Why? Because I know that truth. That truth brings a freedom and, deliver me, the, uh, and deliverance into my life. Like David said, I hide the word in my heart so that I don't sin against him. I don't walk in darkness. I don't have to walk in despondency. I play, pl stay plugged into the, the source. Like Paul told the church at Thessalonica, I learned to pray without ceasing. That doesn't mean I have my list of, list of petitions. That means that my ears are always open to his voice. That's right. And so when you say so, I don't have to say, well, brother, let me pray about that. Well, I'm already praying about that. His sheep know his voice and another will not follow. And so I want to stay connected to that source. He's always in my earbud. I'm not looking to something else. God, okay, I want to be attentive to your voice. That way when you speak, then I'm familiar with your voice. And I think as leaders, we've really departed from that. And so we've reproduced people that are more dependent upon us than they are submitted unto Christ. I had a, uh, go ahead. I'll, I'll tell a quick story. I had my, um, my friend, um, Ricky Williams, he was on the podcast. I don't know how many episodes ago it was now. Cause by the time this airs, who knows how many episodes will be between right. this and that one. Um, but he was the youth pastor at the church I go to right now. And he, he called me one day on the phone. And he was like, I really feel like God is telling me to go plant this church. And I said, do you want me to come help you pack? And he was right. like, what? I'm like, why, <laughs> why are we still on the phone, bro? You, you got to go. Like, it, right. He's like, what? I'm like, yeah, you need to leave. Because I tell people this all the time that, and the, Jesus is coming back for his bride. It is right. singular. He is coming right. back for his bride. So it's yep. not my church versus this church versus that exactly. church. It is the body of Christ and we are one bride. Yep. I'm not going to keep you at quote unquote, my church when God is calling right. you or pulling you to be somewhere else, because how are you supposed to be fruitful in that disobedience? Right. And I, I think that if we can remain kingdom minded like are you in love with jesus are you in love with the idea of going to church are you in love with jesus are you in love with the idea of just listening to these nice songs because they make you feel some type of way what are you really in love with because i'm with you i love physically being in the church i love the environment i love the gathering of the saints i don't care whether i'm changing diapers or i'm preaching a sermon i don't really care i'm cutting the grass i have fun 
doing those things. I also love being the church outside of there and just taking the message of the saving power of Jesus to the people. But I don't, I tell people this all the time. Like if God is calling you somewhere else, then let's get you somewhere else. Let's get you to where he's supposed <laughs> to be. <laughs> right. Yeah. I was like, I will yeah. come help you pack right now. And I, I say this to people a lot. You know, I don't tell people because I had someone say this to me, or I don't know how this conversation came about, but they said, you know, I kind of want to get to where you are. And I said, I need, I need to need you to understand something. I may have more years in this than you, but first of all, don't let anyone despise your youth. You know, we know Paul right. told Timothy that, but at that same time, I don't want you to get to my level because my level may not be where God wants you. If my role in your life as someone pouring into you is to get you where God is calling you to be, not get you to quote unquote my level, because I don't even know what that fully is yet. So let's not, let's well, really, not. When you think you know, about that, they want to be where you are. Well, you just tell them, well, well, don't look for that because I probably won't be there when you get there. That's real too. Because I haven't arrived. That's real. So I'm going to be moved on. So it's going to be an empty spot for you. If that's where you want to be, I'll vacate that. And I'm going to move on with Christ. And that's the other thing too, is I'm not going to hold on to something when God's like, Hey, Eric, it's time for somebody else to, to do this. You know, I, I pray for that guy, God, God, just let me know when it's time for somebody else to do X, Y, or, or Z, you know, we've got so, to get in the habit of working ourselves out of jobs. Yep. And moving on to another task and, and really equipping people to do those things. Really when I'm out and, and I have to travel some and do different things, uh, I don't ever worry about those things that, that mean a lot to me because I'm confident that I've invested enough in those. You know what it's gonna look like? It's gonna look like it just like it would if I was there because they're confident because they've been given the opportunity to do those things. I I struggled with um with delegation for a while as as a leader because I had a leader who used delegation like it was a spiritual gift. It was right. just like, you know what I mean? It was just like, and, and he would brag about it, man. I wasn't here this week, but look, all the work got done. Meanwhile, I'm sitting here like, yeah, because somebody else did it. It's not because you taught us how <laughs> right. to do it. I'm about to get mad. But so I struggled to, to, to I need to, I need to let that go. I struggled to, to delegate for a while, but part of that was also because I enjoy the work. Like I have fun yeah, working. I, I have fun being in the trenches with people, but I had to realize the people I were pouring into for them to be effective leaders, they had to see all aspects of ministry, all aspects of leadership, which means they had to see me create other leaders. They had to see me delegate and pass down duties. They need to see me rest. They need to see me broken. They need to see, they need to see all of these things. They need to see the whole gospel. So now you, I think you nailed what you, what you said. Yep. So and that's it. The greatest in the kingdom is the servant of all. Can we be a servant? Because that's the foundation. Jesus didn't say I came. He said, I didn't come to be served, but to serve and to give my life a ransom. So we as leaders, we're going to be the top servant. Right. And we, and we never graduate from that. I don't, I'm with you. I, I, I love yeah. serving. I really do. There is no job that's beneath me in, in the kingdom. I don't, I don't, I will. The only thing I won't do is get on stage and sing because I have been forbidden to do that at my church. That's, <laughs> that's, that's a whole, that's a whole other story. And honestly, it was warranted. They had to stop me. So it's, um, there we go. So I'm going to, I got a couple questions for you because I know we're coming up on our time here. So I just want to make sure I get these questions in. So Certainly. what, what motivates you? Again, seeing things from his perspective, there you know, you I go. think about Paul, the apostle, he said that I knew a man some 14 years ago, whether in the flesh and spirit, I did not know, but he was showing things that weren't law for him to speak. So he was caught up into a perspective. I've always looked at some of the, the, what Paul wrote, like, uh, the, I can do all things or I count it all joy when I fall into diverse temptations and all these types of things. I'm like, man, how can a guy like that say, well, he had a perspective on things. 
And so he got to see the end from the beginning. Well, for me, brother, what motivates me is the scripture tells me uh, in, in, in Ephesians that I'm seated with him in heavenly places. And so I'm seated. So you can't talk me out of that. You can't, you can't outbid that. I'm seated with him in heavenly places. I've read the end of the book. I know, I know where my life is in Christ Jesus through faith. And so whatever I have to do in between here and there, I'm okay with it. So what keeps me motivated is I'm seated with him in heavenly places. So that's my goal. I want to be pleasing unto God. I want to be found faithful. When the son of man returns, will he find faith on the earth? Mm -hmm. And so my, 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 my motivation is I want to be found faithful on that day. And so, and that's at the end of the day, that's what I want to be known by. Hey, listen, I can say one thing for PT. And that guy was just faithful. It didn't matter what it looked like. He was just faithful over the little things and God made him rulers over the big things. So he's just a, a case study and just being faithful when you don't have anything. That way God can trust you when you do have things. So my motivation is I want to be with Christ. I want him to say, well done, my good and my faithful servant. A lot of people want him to say good and faithful, but they've never really been good at the things that he's told them to do or demonstrated it. Oh. And they've certainly never been faithful. But we want him to be a liar. God is not a man that he should lie or the son of a man that he should repent. But we somehow think that we're going to stand before God and suddenly he's going to be a liar. So I want, to, I want to have truth like David said in the 51st Psalm. He desires truth in the inward parts so that I can know his mercy. So what motivates me is I'm seated with him in heavenly places. It doesn't matter if it was in the next five years, or the next 50 years. That's my goal. And I'm going to stay focused on that. I'm going to set my affections on those things above and not beneath. It don't really matter what happens here, who gets elected, who don't get elected, the things that happen in the economy, how much you have to pay for gas. He could feed, he could fill up my tank at 99 cents a gallon, just like he can at $5 a gallon. Right. Same, same God. So that's what, that's what motivates me. And that's what I want to be known for is to be faithful. If gas prices increase, I'm like, God, I tithe. I need a raise. That's what I say to him. <laughs> there you go. <laughs> You know, it's so funny, brother, when I was in Bible college, I mean, we were kind of destitute and my wife had, she was pregnant with our, our first child and I had to, uh, her mom and dad flew her back to Texas to get seen about. When I dropped her off at the airport, I had $5. Now this was in the late, the mid, the mid late eighties. And so I didn't have any money, but I had $5. I said, I better put it in the tank because I'm, I'm looking for a job and I got to go back and forth to school. I put that $5 in my gas tank and I never looked down again for a month. Cause I didn't have anything to put in it. And you know what? I give people rides. I never ran out of gas. And so just like he was able to, to, to increase the woman's cruise of oil, I've seen him do that. I didn't even have groceries in the house, but the Lord spoke to me. He said, I want you to go and sit on your porch in this apartment complex every day at five. And he said, I'll send somebody to feed you. I'm sitting wow. there by and said, Hey, listen, how's your wife doing? Fine. Hey, listen, we're going to have dinner in about 30 minutes. You want to eat with us? Yeah, sure. I'd sit there. And you know what? Every single day for that month, somebody came by and invited me to, to, to have dinner with them. So I, I knew I was going to eat every single day because God gave me a promise. And I didn't even look down at the gas gauge anymore. I just kept driving my car. I said, listen, if it runs out of gas, I'll park it and I'll start walking because I still got to be faithful. Amen. Man, wow. You are encouraging me in ways you can't even imagine right now. <laughs> Amen, brother. So why do you do what you do? Because of that, brother. I, I don't, he don't want anyone to perish, but also come to repentance. And I don't either. I don't want to think to myself, but you know, it's, it's funny, you know, you asked me earlier about when I felt that call at 15 years old, I really felt it. I didn't have anybody to cultivate that inside of me or to help me along those lines. It was just come back to church type deal. I didn't have anybody that really tapped into that. And it wasn't their fault. Uh, I just didn't. And so I spent about three years realistically backslidden. Now, again, I wasn't out, you know, committing crimes. I wasn't out getting, I wasn't doing those things. 
but I was backslidden and hard and nobody knew it. It, it. it seemed like I was, I was a straight A student. I wasn't skipping school. I wasn't doing those things, but I was backslidden because for those that know to do right and they don't to them in sin. Now, during that, Ooh, that, that three year well. window of time, I had friends of mine in our community that died without Christ. And I could, and brother, that's been nearly 40 years plus, and I can still tell you their names. And you know what? Because I wasn't that voice. I wasn't that person that was deliberately sharing my faith. I know they died without Christ because I knew them and I didn't lift a finger. And so for me, what motivates me is when I finally said, listen, God, enough's enough at 18 years old. I said, I, I, I'm not going to be that one that, that's, that's hidden the gospel and have to remember. And I can name the names. I'm not going to do it for, on this podcast. I could tell you the names of those guys that, that, that died without Jesus that I called my friends, that I was their buddy. And so my friendship evangelism and how good of a student Troy, it didn't save them. I was that arrogant to think that my good works and my good nudes and my studious activities were somehow going to supplement or, or subvert the gospel somehow. They, it didn't work. They died without Christ. And so what motivates me is, you know what, God, I'm going to do as much as I can with as much as I have. And so I don't, I don't want to have to remember other people's names and thinking I could have lifted a hand, but I never lifted. I could have lifted a voice. I could have been obedient. I, I'm, I'm not going to do that. So the only three years at 50, nearly 56 years old that I have regret 15, 16, 17 years old, hmm. I can't get them back, but you know what I can do? I can help other people to realize that, listen, you don't want to have to look back on those years and think I knew the truth, but I was lazy. I was, I, I knew the truth. But, but I was compromised. I, I knew the truth, but I just didn't do anything thinking somebody else was going to do it. Well, nobody reached those guys. That was my assignment. And I dropped the ball and they perished as a, as a result of that. I, I never want that to be my testimony on that day. Say, why didn't you tell them? Why didn't you tell them? That um, I'm going to, I'll talk to you about this once we, once we log off, cause I don't want to hold you, but I have a very similar story to a gentleman who ended up committing suicide and I never shared the, the gospel with him. And I saw the guy often in the gym and it's, it's been, it was a, yep. my pat. I had to call my pastor to really work, work through that. I needed, I needed some guidance to work there. that messed with me for, for a while, yep. but those, it's those things that we see that it's like, okay, this, this cannot happen again on my watch. So I need to, you know, so do, I've asked myself, if I don't tell you about Jesus and I tell you, I love you, do I really love you? Right. It's something I've said to myself often. I, I, it's one of those things. I don't really care how people feel about the statement. It's like that. It's one of the things that helps keep me in check that the, the saving power of Jesus, God is love. Jesus is love. So do I really love you if I don't tell you about the thing that has truly made the biggest impact and difference in my life? So. And, and we as the church, we let people off the hook. I don't want to be let off the hook. I, I know that I was responsible. I know that it was my assignment. I dropped the ball. I, yeah. I did, you know. That's the job that he gave us. And I dropped the ball on that. But you know what it motivated me to as tragic as that is, I just refused to keep dropping the ball. I'm not obligated to be defined by my past. I'm obligated to be defined by the promises of God. That's so right. All these years later, that's what I'm going to continue to do. I, I did mess up, but that's not what defines me. By getting up, a righteous man falls seven times, but the Lord picks them up. I'm going to get up and I'm going to stay up this go around. I, um, I hugged his, his mother when I saw her at the, the gym a few weeks after that. She came to me and she hugged me. And I'm sitting here and it was the most painful thing. I'm sitting here, I'm thinking, I played a part in his death. I really did. And, yeah. you know, that's a, that's a whole other conversation for the day. But, yeah, you, that's a whole other conversation for the day. But I, it's one of those things that it's why I'm like, you all right. You never want to feel that way again. No, it was terrible. I'm, I'm reliving it right now as I'm talking yeah. to you. So, um, Absolutely. 
So I got to tell you, thank you so much for being on the show today. Thank you so much for being a part of this. This was phenomenal. I, every time I talk to you, I just get energized. I love this. So, um, this brings us to the final segment of our show. This is our let them know segment. This is where you can share anything you want with the audience. You can tell them anything you want them to know. Troy, let them know. Amen. Guys, listen, a lot of times it's just opportunity. If you want an opportunity, I, I'm a facilitator of opportunity. We do ministry throughout the year. My week always looks the exact same. I'm the proverbial broken record. I just do the same thing over and over and over again. <laughs> and you just you just keep putting your hand to the plow and do that. If you ever want to come and be a part of that, hey, let me know. Uh, my personal phone number, 504-905-4113. I don't care who has it. That's my cell phone number, 504-905-4113. He may even drop it on the screen for you here when he, when he puts this podcast out. Feel free to call if you want some. Uh, you want to talk to somebody about this, just like I talked to Eric about these things. And I go, listen, I don't know everything. I know what I know, and if, if if you want to know some of that, I'm willing to give it. Maybe you know something. You have something that I need as well. But we're available to you if you want to come into the city of New Orleans. We have the training center. We host groups throughout the year that want to come and get their feet. Maybe your group is just you. You can come by yourself. We'll plug you into what we're doing and show you what we're doing just to change hearts and lives. And you'll be amazed at what you can really do. If just given an opportunity. Also, if you have uh, young people, you're a young person between 18 and 26, you want to come spend a year with me, uh, hit me up, call me up, or, or you, you can put, probably put my contact information on the screen as well. We'd love to have you uh, look at it. I'll send you an application for an internship. Come spend a year on the streets and uh, go back home and, and transform uh, your neighborhoods as well for Christ. But listen, we're facilitators. We want to help make it happen for you if you need that type of help. I got to share this too about your heart. When I was looking up, the, the training center and looking up everything as far as like how much it will cost per night to come out and do and do evangelism and, and just minister out to people with you. It's $28. Okay. So that covers two meals. <laughs> no one, no one, no one we're talking to is here to look in to make money. We are looking to make exactly. it as easy and as affordable as possible for you to get out there and just share the gospel and just have the, and, and even if you don't know how to learn from, from someone else and learn from all these experiences. So um, if money is an issue, they've done everything they possibly can to make it so that it is a non-factor. It is $28 a night and two of your meals are covered. So yeah, Eric, uh, Eric won't say this because he told me he wouldn't say this, but I'll say it. If you don't have the, the $28, it ain't going to break my heart. Come on, I'll pay the 28 for you. You don't have to worry about that. <laughs> I wasn't going to say, but I, all right. I, I know I, you were, but you know, I will. You, I think your faith is stronger than mine. So you, you're, you're more trusted than me. Yeah, so maybe. I think you, so. If someone doesn't have it, I'll throw in two just to help you out. Since you we'll split I'll, the difference. I'll throw in two. I'll throw in two. I'll, I'll skip going to Wendy's one day. That'll work. Troy, I think it's only right that you that you pray us out before we end the before we end the episode. Amen. Father, we just thank you, Lord God. Just honestly, Lord God, just to be have the opportunity to come before you, Lord God. We have access into your presence, Lord God, because of your son Jesus. Lord God, we're just we're grateful. Lord God, if anything, we're a grateful people, Lord God. Father, your word says, therefore, with joy shall we draw waters from the wells of salvation. Because you're inside of us, Lord God, you said your joy is our strength, and there's in your presence, there's fullness of joy. Lord God, we don't have to conjure those things up. Lord God, you're with us, Lord God, all the time, even to the end of the age. And so, Father, I just pray for my brothers and sisters in the body of Christ. Lord God, those that have been weary, Lord God, those that have been struggling. Father, I pray that you would be their strength. You'd be their ever-present help in time of need, Lord God. You would show them, Lord God, that they don't have to just be second best or second rate, Lord God, or stay on the sidelines, Lord God, that you've got something specifically for them to do, Lord God, and you're just simply waiting on them to say, Lord God, here I am. 
Lord God, so I ask you that you encourage them. Lord God, we pray for, for church leaders, Lord God, that they would get, they would break out, Lord God, of, of really that, that mid-management approach, Lord God, and realize that you've called them, Lord God, to make disciples of Jesus, Lord God, not to make attenders of churches, Lord God, that we would be faithful, Lord God, to equip the saints to do the work of the ministry, that we would, Lord God, bring them in, we'd disciple them, we would train them, we would release them to do the work of the ministry. Just let us have the heart of heaven, Lord God, and we thank you for these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen and amen. 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 Thank you, brother. I appreciate it. Absolutely, my brother. Thank you, for, thank you for everything you shared today. Thank you for being on the show. I really appreciate this. I'm looking forward to having you back on. I don't know what we're going to talk about next time I have you back on because you gave us the whole Bible in about an hour and a half. So <laughs> we'll we're, going to come up, we're going to figure something out. We're going to figure something All out. Right, so thank you so much for everything. I appreciate it. We're praying, playing. Wow, I can't talk. We are praying blessings over you and your ministry. Thank you so much. Thank you, my brother.